0: This podcast is brought to you by Uconnect, the creator of the first all-in-one virtual career center. Scale your impact and engage more students with a platform that puts all of your career resources in one place. Hey friends, welcome back to the Career Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Metzger, and this week I'm excited to welcome Kelly Smith and Lexi Avery, both of Binghamton University. Kelly is the Assistant Vice President for Student Success, and Lexi is the Senior Associate Director of Student Engagement and Career Readiness. In this episode, I talk with Kelly and Lexi about how their team has worked to better engage first and second year students with career services. Kelly and Lexi talk about their four-phase strategy, why it's so important to engage students early and often, and how they've increased first-year engagement from 28% to 71%. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you both for being here. Thank you.
1: We're thrilled. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to have you both here today. And I'm excited to talk to you about how your team is engaging more first- and second-year students with career services there at Binghamton. I know this has been a focus for you for a while now, and it sounds like things are going really well. Uh, in fact, I was just reading this story that Inside Higher Ed just did about your team's success. So I'm excited to dig more into what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then how you're doing it. But before I get into my questions, is there anything else either of you would like to add about yourselves, your backgrounds, or your roles there at Binghamton?
1: I think you covered it for me. <laughs> yep, I'm good. Thank you.
0: Okay, great. All right. So I'm going to kick us off with a question that I ask all of our guests on this podcast, and that's, what does Career Everywhere mean to you?
1: This is a great question, Meredith, and I love that you asked this question of everybody in the podcast. You know, when I was thinking about this, um, you sent the questions in advance, and then I know it's part of it. It took me back to when I interviewed, which was almost exactly 10 years ago. And in fact, it made me go back to my original job presentation. And what I had talked about there was really the importance of institutional ownership and that this really does need to be something that leadership takes part in. It needs to be part of the financials, how it's set up organizationally, externally, um and was really inspired by a visit to Cerner Corporation in Kansas City back when I did a lot of employer relations in the way they look at electronic records and how patient care is set up and that there's this team approach and it's really not all that different in the work that we do you know parents play a role alumni play a role our employers faculty institutional leadership and in prioritizing it and then naturally a lot of the people that do this work day in and day out, and that it really does need to be something not just really only part of the ecosystem of the university, but even external to that. And, you know, keeping that in mind, the center, you know, Lexi could talk to this even more than myself, made a, a choice a few years ago to really Take out a bold vision of wanting to um, have a hundred percent of our students engaged in an aspect of career and professional growth, and to do that, we need it to be this real true team approach where it is truly career everywhere and your product honestly has really helped us in that too.
0: Um, well, I'm really glad to hear that for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's great and it it makes sense that in order to reach everybody, you truly need everyone on campus and off campus, honestly, to be on board. So that makes a lot of sense. Lexi, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, I think all the things Kelly says, you know, definitely resonate. And I think I've thought a lot the last few years about just the language that we're using around even career services, right? A service is sort of this perception. It's optional, something you have to go and do. Um, And so reframing that to more so career development is a life skill. And so when you frame it like a life skill and you think about exploration and networking and skill building, those aren't career center things. That is everybody's thing. Um, Students are making connections in the classroom. They're developing skill sets in everything that they do. And so I think even changing that language. And if you talk about yourself as a service, you're going to be seen as a service versus something that is sort of this integrated, you know, model in the campus, you know, community. And so I, I think for me, when I think about Career Everywhere, it's those life skills, those things that students need that they're getting anyways, that feels more like everybody's responsibility.
0: I love that. The last bit of what you said reminded me especially of the third tenet of Career Everywhere, which is kind of moving career services from the provider like from the sole provider of career services to a facilitator, like a partner, a true partner across campus and beyond. So I love that. Great. Well, I think now we'll go ahead and dig into our topic today. So to get us started, and I know this is kind of a big question, but can you just give me an overview of what you and your team have been doing to better engage first and second year students?
2: I think for quite a while, I've been here about nine and a half years. um, And so we've always done a lot of really good work in around first year and second year engagement. And so we've got partnerships with admissions, you know, we're the first stop on every admissions tour. And that's something since Kelly, you know, was leading the team, that that was a big piece of a lot of the work is starting that culture early. You know, if it's on the admissions tour, it's probably important um, and probably important that we work on it early. We talk to every first year student and their family at orientation. Um, we have partnerships with residential life and our opportunity programs. And so a lot of things that I'm sure other schools are doing too. But I think our sort of transition was really to the intentionality behind it. I think we we're doing a lot of programs. We started a pre-arrival program called Kickstart. And so we were doing sort of all of these one-off things. And and i don't think we had a lot of intentionality that they looped in together or that we were tracking their the students progress or that we were sort of being intentional in how students early on sort of think about career development and career exploration and so in summer 2021, I had a lot of time at home to do lots of research, and so really my role had sort of shifted to the early engagement work at that point. And so did a lot of research on students and how they engaged with career centers, what first-year students are thinking in general, and sort of combining that with my background in education and sort of thinking through how students first learn, like letters and numbers, and a lot of that comes down to awareness. And so that really started what we have now, which is the strategic plan. So it's four phases, two phases per year, focus on building awareness and exposure for students in their first year, and then their second year really focus more onus on them in terms of the engagement and career planning. Um, so that's a I'm happy to dive into anything else, but it's a very broad sort of perspective of sort of what we had been doing and kind of what we started really in fall 21, really tracking that and
0: monthly. So you mentioned that this is a four-phase approach. I would love to hear more about each of those phases.
2: Yeah. So phase 1 is really around that awareness piece. So the idea that students are just going to find the career center and know exactly what you do, even if you talk to them at orientation, even if you are the first stop on every admissions tour, It's just not super realistic with all of the other noise and things that are happening. So that awareness piece and so students being able to know where we physically are on campus and be able to know one to two things that we can do to support them is sort of that initial phase one. Phase two is around exposure. So it's us going into student spaces. So it's classes, it's student organization presentations, it's residential life programming. So it's things that students are already participating in and we're sort of invading um, and, and going into that space. So year one is really about us and really being intentional and having the ownership to get out there and create this culture that it's normal to engage early and that it's important to engage early. And all of this sort of stress and anxiety that students think about really can go away when you engage early and you have those steps in place. Year two, it's a lot more onus on the student. So in their first semester of their sophomore year, um, we want them to engage in some capacity. So whether that's coming into an appointment, whether that's Logging on, reading blogs on UConnect, um, whether it's using big interview, attending a program or event. So really just them taking that step to initiate on their own. And then the last step is really career planning. So do they have an exploration plan? Have they taken a career exploration course? Have they met with a career consultant to talk about career planning? Have they attended a program around creating an action plan? those sorts of things. So that intentionality, so they're going into their junior, senior year. Like I have a plan. I know who can help me. I have a plan I've explored. And so that's kind of the breakdown. And we have metrics that we're looking at for each phase kind of along the way as well.
0: Okay, great. I have even more follow-ups now. Um, (laughs) For the first phase, this awareness phase, how are you going about driving that awareness?
2: Yeah, so some of it's partnerships. And then some of it is sort of the narrative that we just believe that, you know, this isn't a transactional center. This isn't a service. This is an intentional sort of transformational experience. And we're working with students. And so I think that mindset for our own staff is helpful because then we're talking about it. So we're talking to academic advisors about it. We're talking to residential life and our opportunity programs. So the language I think helps. I think the other thing too is around being fun with it a little bit. So we have an internship position in our office called the student career influencers and everybody loves influencers right now. And so if we can leverage, you know, students who are excited who have used our services before have had a positive experience and create some fun, engaging, like tabling events, you know, we have a green wagon that they walk around campus with And they come up with unique and fun ways to weave career development into a fun experience. So I think that helps too. We've also done a lot of work with residential life and a lot of positions where, again, that awareness piece can be fun. You know, it doesn't have to be a program. It doesn't have to be this like big campaign. But when you sort of act and walk a certain way, others start to notice and and kind of believe that. And our student staff, which we have a very large student staff they also support that. So those are just some of like the fun ways that the awareness piece kind of comes up.
0: Yeah, I love that you're having fun with it. I imagine that makes it more fun for your team too. It's a lot more fun
2: and it's a lot more like palatable for a student. I think when they come check us out at you know in front of our office, our whole wall is glass so you can look in sort of intimidating sometimes. But when you have a wheel with prizes and just learning about different resources, it sort of removes that barrier a little bit. Um, And sharing student stories on our video, you know, on our TV that's outside our office. So it feels like I can go in, you know, it feels like I can engage. And so we've got even down to marketing that you're doing. So the windows have stickers on them that have all of our career clusters, and all of our affinity community. So as I'm walking by, I can see that, oh, I identify at you know with this group or I have this interest and it feels like if it's listed there, like I can come in. And so those are things just as we've had you connect over the past few years and, and things like that, that we've started to try to figure out how to make the space feel like the online platform feels like and how do we make the space feel like we talk about it?
0: Yeah, I love that. Now I'm curious about phase two. So this was, you were talking about going into classes, kind of being a part of the experiences that students are already having. Can you just tell me a little bit more about, again, what that phase entails? Yeah, Kelly, do you want to talk a little
2: bit about just like the faculty engagement piece? And then I can go into the some of the logistics stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, something that we're in a situation where we don't have a requirement for a class or anything like that. So it does require for us to do a fair amount of outreach and strategy and making sure we're partnering with faculty. And so there are a couple other staff that are within Lexi's team that have created a new initiative called the Career Collaborative, and they really launched that more formally this year. They've had a couple of town halls, for example, inviting faculty in to really just sort of think about and build in almost pre-made assignments, but also the ability to tailor those if they're interested and creating a fellows program where we incentivize the faculty to with some stipends. But that's sort of a phase two after something that we did several years ago that since that time, a lot of institutions done where we really do try to celebrate faculty as well as others that are providing mentorship and support for students through our Career Champions program. So this is sort of, in my mind, it's a little bit of the Career Champions 2.0. How do we go to that next level? How do we make sure we're intentionally reaching out, especially to faculty that have those large 100-level classes? And the thing that is so exciting for me is that I think there are, you know, seeing some of the conversations that have happened in those town halls, seeing the types of faculty ranging from music to anthropology and some of those that we maybe traditionally haven't had as much engagement are actually sort of like our poster faculty who are extra excited and are helping us message out the importance of this and how we can work with them individually to build this into some of their classes. And so the work that especially has been done in this past year is really exciting. And so Lexi can talk about that at a deeper level, The one thing I'll add to that that has been, I think, a lesson learned for all of us is, you know, our hope and our approach has been really from a lens of equity. And I think that that's important because we want all students, regardless of their social capital or other access of any kind, the opportunity to have this knowledge and support and career development. Um, And that's really a large part of why we've developed this new career collaborative initiative, but it's been interesting because while, of course, faculty for the most part have that same value, it's important for us to realize that some of them are coming at it from a different angle. It might be that they are struggling with in their major and they understand students in that major mean faculty support and budgets and keeping lines and that kind of thing. So I think it's been a really great two-way educational opportunity for all of us and a reminder that not all faculty come at this for the same motive or reason or some motives might be a little higher than others and that we can kind of look at
2: this approach in a multifaceted way. Just two things to sort of add, I think, especially with the 100-level courses, We're not asking for a ton of time, right? Like we're just trying to sort of build that awareness and get into their space. So I always pitch like, hey, can I come in and do a a mini session? So it's 15 to 20 minutes on a specific topic. And what we don't do is sort of Fleischmann Center commercials. So we don't go into classes and say, this is all the things that we do because it's sort of like right over their heads. So we try to figure out what are the things that are most relevant right now for a student and capitalize on that. So whether that's teaching them how to build connections in their first semester, or how do I build skills through a student organization I'm a part of, or how do I explore careers in economics or in anthropology? So we're trying, and it's 15, 20 minutes is very digestible, right? And faculty, especially in the first couple of weeks are more willing to give that time. And so I think that's, you know, really important. I think the other piece is our partnership with residential life um, and getting into those spaces. So we have a graduate position called the residential student engagement specialist, and their role is really to get the word out about what we're doing in the residential communities. And so they're doing fun things as well, but getting into those spaces, building sort of that trust, helps with that exposure piece too. So it's not just on the team that you know is in the office. It's our student staff that are out and about, it's our staff that are in the classroom, you know, and things like that. And it's also taking student organization program requests and, you know, allowing those students to invite us in. Most of them have a requirement for some professional development. And so we make it really easy to say, hey, request us. We can talk about any number of these topics. And so, again, it's going to spaces they already trust and believe in. And so that helps with sort of that exposure piece of it
0: gosh that's so many things that you all are doing I imagine that keeps you very busy yes we're all
2: very busy but it's good because you see the results like very quickly we saw the results and students really responding and families responding and staff on campus you know responding so that helps keep you motivated to keep going I bet I
0: bet so now I'd love to move on to phases three and four where it's really kind of put, like you said, putting that onus on the student, having them get involved with the career center, coming in for appointments or workshops, doing that career planning. Can you just tell me a little bit more about, again, what those phases entail and kind of how you're motivating students to take part? Yeah, I think
2: it's, again, sort of two parts. I think part of it is tailoring messaging. So I think a lot of offices do a really good job of telling students what they offer, but they don't necessarily tailor the message to the different groups of students, right? Like the message about a job fair is very different for a junior or senior than it is gonna be for a first year or sophomore student. And so we're intentional with how we talk about experiences students can participate in and why they're important, especially for younger students. Like the why is so valuable because they've already had it ingrained in their mind I don't go to the Career Center until I'm a junior or senior. Like, I don't have to sort of worry about that. And so we're debunking the myth kind of as we go. But, you know, the job fair as an example, it's a great opportunity to explore. It's a great opportunity to just listen in on what other students are saying when they're sort of doing their elevator pitch. It's a great opportunity to just test things out, walk around, see what the format is so that when things are a little bit more, you know, intentional, in your sophomore, junior, or senior year, you're prepared versus surprised what it's going to be like. So I think the tailoring of the messaging is important, and that's for walk-in services, that's for appointments. We're intentional about why you would make that appointment type. It's not just saying that we offer it, but here's why it would be helpful. I think the other piece, you know, when I initially started this, I knew it was not going to be something we could do alone, right? We're only so big. There's a lot of students on this campus. And so we've created like an early engagement guiding group. And so we meet just twice a year and it's representation from all across campus. It's advisors, it's representation from opportunity programs, residential life, athletics, um, orientation. It's all of these people who sort of have a relationship or hand in students in their first year and sophomore year. And so we're sharing what we're working on. We're talking about and brainstorming what are things you're doing that this can just be integrated into. Or what are events that we should be going to? How is that messaging? So I think that piece helps. And then we have an internal group too. That monthly, we're looking at what engagement looks like. We're tracking engagement. We're pulling pockets of students and doing intentional outreach. So whether it's you know our educational opportunity program, we're sending a list of students who haven't engaged to that office and they're helping us with that. Or we're letting residential life know, hey, it seems like this one building has, you know, less engagement than all of the rest. Like, what can we do? So it's not widespread, right? Like, it's really intentional piece by piece. And I don't necessarily always get to every group that I, you know, want to each month. But I think that tailoring and then the purposeful sort of relationships and that sort of thing has really helped the exposure and the career planning happen because we're, engaging people who already, again, have built-in relationships um, and have trust in it, and we're tailoring the message to sort of debunk their own thought process things. And Binghamton students are really special, and they, they really want to continue to engage and do more and have experience. And so that helps, too. You know, they're curious really early on, and that curiosity, we just leverage it. <laughs>
0: Do your students get terrible career advice from YouTube and TikTok? Give them access to better video content with Candid Career Plus. The YouTube of career videos, Candid Career Plus is an expansive video library with thousands of career-focused videos that cover a wide range of topics, interests, industries, advice, and more. And every video is sourced from best-in-class career content creators, including ADP List, Way Up, and many more. Learn more at GoYouConnect.com slash CandidCareerPlus. That sounds like you're really building that into part of the school's culture is this early curiosity, this early engagement, thinking about life after college early on. Yeah, I imagine a lot of that is coming from your office. So that's really cool. So earlier you mentioned metrics that you're measuring or you're measuring metrics for each of these phases. Can you tell me a little bit about what some of those are?
1: So, you know, really because of all this that Lexi and the team spearheaded, it's been pretty remarkable to see the impact. So I'll give you a couple of examples. In 2021, you know, keep in mind those, we all remember that was a different time. The first year engagement of the office, which is what they're looking at, whether it's a student had an appointment or they attended a program that really is a Fleischmann Career Center program minus orientation. So we're not counting orientation for any of the future ones either, although we do monitor and watch that. But it was 28%. And that's probably pretty typical for first year engagement for a career center. And flash forward two years, so just two years later this past year, Lexi, were we at 71 or 72 you want. So um, the drastic change in that short amount of time, and I really, you know, there probably are other career centers out there that have that level of a metric. I just don't know of any. I've not heard of somebody having that level of engagement when there's not a requirement of some kind for a first-year student, especially at a larger university like, like ours. And so you know, certainly the goal is even more. And what's also incredible is that this year we're monitoring, you know, from this point in time compared to last year, just at staff meeting the other day, it was shared that we're already 7% higher at this point in time than we were last year. So we expect this to go up. So it's very exciting to watch that. I think it's motivating somewhat like Lexi was alluding to for the team to see, hey, the work that is being done, and it is, it's a lot of work. It's no joke, the work that Lexi and others have really taken on to make this happen, but it's working. And then, you know, from a longer term perspective, we're not there yet. We don't know yet, you know, will this impact participation in internships? Will this impact career outcome rates with placement and graduate school placement. We don't know, but I'm hopeful. I can't wait. And that's certainly something we're going to be looking at, but I anticipate we'll also see an impact in that way. So to see, you know, the first year students from last year, that 71%, and then looking this year, which we expect to be even higher, will we see over time our ability to see that longer-term impact as well, which, you know, in the end, we're all hoping in this line of work that we see a large, significant, if not all students participating in, you know, either an internship and or let's say undergraduate research, but something that they know will be helpful for them later. And then even though, to be honest, our placement is quite strong, it's part of our strategic plan in terms of a metric, year. So it's gone up over time quite well for, you know, a variety of reasons, but, but I anticipate that will be even stronger too over time. So
0: we'll see. Wow. That's amazing. So to confirm, you went from 28% engagement among first-year students in 2021 to 71% last year. That is incredible.
2: And that doesn't include orientation. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't include orientation. We sort of feel like orientation would that's a great metric in terms of awareness, right? But it's, there's a lot of noise at orientation. And that's not always a good indicator that they've actually processed or will be able to utilize any of those things. So we certainly I mean, that would be, you know, 98 99% of students, but I don't include that in, in the full picture. So yeah, and I'll just add a couple like practicality things because I think as people are listening, they're like, oh like, can I do this? You know, sort of thing. And I think from a metric perspective, we pull data that we already had. We just weren't using it in the way that we are now. So between handshake and the data we get from connect like all of the things were already in place. And we are just tracking it and looking at it differently than we had in the past. So it's not necessarily this like huge, huge, huge lift. Um, There's, you know, polls that happen monthly. There's reporting that's sort of just built into the structure of things. So it's really something that others could do. And then I think that the other thing to pay attention to is sort of the modes to which students engage is also important that we're looking at because not every student is going to want or need a one-on-one appointment. And we can't expect them to, nor do we have the capacity, right, to serve, you know, 18,000 students one-on-one, but utilizing online resources, right? So having you connect, having this virtual career center, having the one-on-one, but also having smaller group things and then having larger group things. And so really figuring out the different modes and tracking those and eventually sort of seeing, do they also have an impact on... Does a student come back again if they only utilize online resources or, you know, so tracking those sorts of things, I think is going to be the next fun <laughs> phase of it.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. You've mentioned a few different pieces of technology. Of course, you connect our virtual career center platform, handshake, big interview. Can you just talk to me a little bit about how you've used technology to uh, improve this engagement among first and second year students?
2: So, I think you connect in particular. One of the things we did pretty early on in terms of a check that, you know, were students kind of engaged was that every first year student we mapped them to our exploring career cluster. And so that way, as they're engaging with us throughout the year, we can go in and track when they change to a different cluster. So, we have seven clusters six are industry based, one is exploring. And so they all start in one spot. So, we can tell as they move into different clusters that my hope is that they've had some sort of either engagement with us, awareness of us, their own self-reflection, their own, you know, development along the way that they made a conscious choice to log in, go in, right? Opt into a different cluster. That's just one of the ways that, you know, you connect has been really helpful. I think too, just that access to information right? Utilizing UConnect is there. So we have our exploring career guide on UConnect. That's a PDF that students can download. You know, we've got all of those different pieces. And and so it helps just that accessibility piece, that 24-hour access to information. I think from a handshake sort of perspective, we want students to be able to go in, create a profile so they have access to things. So my expectation is not that a first-year student goes in and utilizes it immediately for the job search. My expectation is they go in, they create a profile so that they have access and they're aware of how to use it. So even with the technology piece, we're using things, but in ways that are what I feel like are developmentally appropriate for students sort of at that time. And that is going to prepare them for the long-term, right? If they They're never going to engage on Handshake if they don't have a profile right? They're never going to come into the Fleischmann Center if they aren't aware that we exist, right? And so there's these initial sort of, you know, phases that I think are helpful. And it's also like, I'll give, you know, we use Focus 2 as an example. We're able to go in and see students who have logged in, but not completed the assessments. And so we reach out to those students like, hey, you logged in, what's going on? Like, how can we help you, you know, get going with that? And so that intentionality, it takes time, right, to follow up and and to do that, but it makes a difference, you know, ultimately. So we're using technology, yes, for reach and scale and all of those things, but we're also using that information to kind of go back and say, hey, this is giving us a pocket of students that we can do something with and be intentional with.
0: Okay. Sounds like a really great supplement to the more in-person work that you all are doing. Yeah, definitely. So I know we have, we've talked a lot about what you all are doing. I think we can all agree that engaging first and second year students is important, but can you both just tell me a little bit about why it's so important to engage students early?
1: One of the things that I don't think will be a surprise or a mystery to any of our colleagues out there that might be listening to this is that we've all had those experiences. And I had a couple that still stick in my mind my first year when I was here and I was doing walk-in appointments. One was in April. I had two students who came in just before graduation and, and they wanted to meet together and said that they were wanting to get a job. And so when you ask those questions, such as, can you tell me about any of the experiences you've had? and you realize they've not yet had an internship and that they didn't feel that within their curriculum, um, it was really all that encouraged. That makes for a difficult conversation, right, when they're about to graduate. And then, you know, had another conversation with a student that was also about to graduate in a month looking for graduate school. And when I asked, well, okay, what are you thinking career-wise? You're gonna get a master's, what in, and what do you wanna do? And she said, oh, I don't know. That's why I'm going to graduate school. I said, well, you know, it's helpful to think about career before going to graduate school sometimes because of the expense and the time and, and everything. She said I was the first person in her four years that had ever said anything along those lines because they just kept nudging her to go to graduate school. And when we're able to connect with students earlier, we all know that it can be very overwhelming when you think about all the different steps that are really important to take your time to be thinking about your choices, doing the things that you need to do to be marketable over time. And if you get to students earlier, that's going to alleviate that anxiety, but also help them become more successful. So, you know, that's, I kind of go back to those stories when I'm also explaining to other people on campus that may not necessarily be within our typical line of work. And then they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then they also buy in to, you know, the why behind the importance
2: of getting to students earlier. But Lexi, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think the only thing I'm sort of picturing when I talk to first-year students in our university sort of 101 class, I I ask them, like, have you thought about classes you're going to have to take in the future? And they're like, yes. Like, have you met with an academic advisor and planned out next semester or planned out next year? And they're like, yeah. And that feels very logical to them, right? Like, I plan out my academics, you know, for one to two sort of years. And I'm like, imagine if each semester you also had a career experience. So it could be an an actual experience. It could be joining a club or organization. It could be utilizing our mentoring platform and reaching out to one mentor a month, right? So when you frame it sort of that way, and like, let's match your academic preparation and planning with planning for a career experience, for some reason, it makes sense to, to them and it feels a lot more reasonable than them sort of under this impression that I need them to make a career decision in their first semester. And so sort of, again, in changing that, and I don't really use career decision-making language anymore. Like I talk a lot about curiosity. I talk a lot about we've created what we call the path to career confidence and clarity. So I don't need you to have a career decision at the end of school, but I want you to be confident and clear about what your next steps are and what your goals are. And it it feels lighter, right? It doesn't feel like I have to make one decision. So, again, I think that language piece is really valuable and really important and sort of speaks to, you know, students are nervous to make these decisions, right? That's not a surprise to anybody, but we, we keep talking about it in the same way and expecting you know different results. And so adjusting that language helps campus to better understand too about how we can't wait, right? Like you can't wait to think about your classes for next semester, just like you can't wait to have these career experiences that are really important in the grand scheme of things.
0: Okay. I love both of those answers. That Thank you for sharing. That's like a very clear understanding of why it's so important. And I'm just thinking back to my own college experience. Like, I wish I would have started thinking about this my freshman and sophomore year. It might've saved me from changing my major sophomore year if I had had better clarity.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that resonates with a lot of people, right? I would have had time and you sort of think about it if I was on a sports team or if I was in a musical or if I played an instrument, you don't get good the first time you do it. You have to invest time and practice and it's the same sort of concept that we're trying to instill in them. The one thing
1: that I'm just going to hop in and add that I think we all recognize and that might be a thought of some that are sort of listening to this and I'm thinking especially of people that work outside of our field and it's really coming off of, I was riding in the car yesterday with our middle child who's a high school senior and on NPR was the story about Um, the pressure that even kids in middle school now have to make these decisions and even create a LinkedIn profile in high school. And so really part of what Lexi was talking about before too was balancing the approach so that it doesn't cause more anxiety. The goal is to lessen it and to do it in a way that creates fun and and also clarity. And so I just want to throw that out there because I do think it's important that we keep in mind the importance of not doing it in a way that overwhelms the students. And I think when we talk about it in that way too, sometimes some of those faculty that we work with, that we all have worked with, that might feel like we can't careerize our curriculum or anything like that. And this is not why students are coming and they're coming for the sake of learning. And, you know, naturally we're seeing a shift in some of that thinking, but also acknowledging that the goal is not to make it all about this and to overwhelm students.
0: Right. Because we want them to come into the career center and they won't do that if they're feeling overwhelmed. Okay. I would love to hear a little bit more about how you set up the processes needed to better engage first and second year students, how you got that buy-in. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it started with us internally. So I was the buy-in and I was lucky that our you know director and AVP and Kelly was supportive. I think I remember you know sharing the plan and sort of anticipating there would be not pushback, but, but just a little bit of questioning. And they were sort of like, yeah, try it. Like, what is the worst thing? that could happen. And so I think our team really early on was kind of on board. And I tried to make it even with the early engagement guiding group, I didn't want it to be an additional thing on someone's plate. And so twice a year seemed very reasonable, Had lunch, you know, for them. And so it felt really reasonable. So everything we've done, sort of been thinking about, I'm not going to do it if I don't have the capacity to do it. I think that's, You know, important too. And I don't expect other people outside of our office to care to the level that I do or our team does about the intricacies of it. But when you're able to just weave it into things people are already doing, um, or you're able to automate, you know, reporting and you're able to utilize data that already exists and you're able to just take a marketing message with a little bit of a twist. It can be utilized in a different way. Like there was a lot of things we were already doing that we just sort of gave it a little bit of a spin, and now, you know, two and a half years in, things are more automated. You know, and I know when I'm going to meet with the group, and I know sort of pockets on campus that I need to be thinking about and and reaching out to. And so it's pretty cyclical at this point, honestly. You know, we look at the senior survey data. I see who has never engaged with us in any capacity during their four years. I try to see if there's pockets or similarities, you know, in those groups that haven't engaged. And then I sort of make an assumption that that's likely to also be a group in their first year that struggles in that same way. And so we reach out to them initially in their first year. And so I'm utilizing things that already exist to inform sort of the next step and and keep going. So it's it's very operationalized at this point. And I know monthly when my data poll comes, I meet with my internal group, we make decisions about outreach, they spend the month doing that and and so on and so forth. So the processes are sort of in place and we've made it as easy as possible for us, but still having the impact.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. It sounds like it's more just about the small tweaks here and there at this point. Yeah, definitely. Okay, great. Well, I know we're kind of coming up close to our time here, so I want to be mindful of all of our time. But what advice do either of you have for other career leaders who want to better engage first and second year students?
1: A couple of thoughts. You know, one is coming off of what Lexi was just talking about. Another thing that was happening in tandem when she really started the group that she brought together you know, we were coming off COVID and trying to figure out, you know, there's a lot of worry and concern about our students going to be academically prepared. So there was also a different group really focused on first-year students that I was sort of co-chairing with another colleague in academic affairs and brought Lexi in. And that was a helpful way to ensure we were getting out there to other people key stakeholders on campus to understand the strategy. And it was a great way for her to really showcase some of that initial work and strategy. So taking advantage of maybe other structures in place. And then another thing would be just thinking about your campus culture You know, for us, one of the things that I just remember early on thinking was a little bit unique, at least for our campus culture, is that focus on the residential community. For us, we tend to find that our students, when they go to graduate, they're alumni They often will identify more with the residential community than they might their college. And we are a very residential campus. And we have a model, too, where we have collegiate professors within the different residential communities. So we really kind of took advantage of that model already in place in the initial phase, which it's since been really revamped and really credit to Lexi and how it was. But the idea of getting staff much more integrated within residential life and for us, that really was a helpful strategy. And we started to see some great results early on. And naturally, a lot of those students are first and second year students. So knowing your campus culture and then doing the best you can to kind of reach out to people that you didn't necessarily have relationships with before. We have found some of our newer faculty coming to campus and having a different kind of mindset about this have also been helpful. And at the same time, we have faculty that have been longtime faculty that have been some of our greatest champions, too, that we maybe didn't expect, maybe would have made an assumption about, but have been tremendous
2: partners for us. But, Lexi, what else do you have? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the biggest thing is never underestimate the power of awareness. Um I think that is fundamentally probably the only thing that matters in the in the case of what we're doing, right? So that awareness piece investing in it, making it fun, making it accessible is really for us has been, I think, the the key. So, awareness and it's very manageable to be able to do, right? There's lots of versions of what that could look like to your campus.
1: I'll add one other thing, if okay. You know, one thing that I think sometimes we take for granted is that you really do have to have your house in order first, because if you don't have that credibility, if partners on campus don't see you as, you know, knowing what you're doing, that makes it much more difficult to get buy-in. We are so lucky. I just came off of a round of meetings with our deans and they all were just so positive about the work that's being done. And the real, they kept commenting about the transformation that they have seen over the years. And so even at that highest level, We have a lot of respect for the work we do, and that's really, honestly, truly a credit to the team that we have in place, the students that we have in place, that are peers, that are trained so well, and the amount of time and investment that go into that. But I do think it's something that probably sometimes we we take for granted. Our team works extremely hard. They have a shared mission. They do really great work. And that's really important to be successful. And same with students wanting to take advantage of the work that we do. So I just don't want to not acknowledge that.
0: Sounds like what you're doing is not only helping more students, but is helping your office get a better seat at the table, too.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's The cherry on top.
2: (laughs) Very important.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, if anyone would like to learn more from you or connect with you, where's a good place for them to do that?
2: LinkedIn is probably the the best way. I'm always happy to talk to career centers about how to do something like this at their campus, um, share our plan, things like that. Yeah, agree.
1: Same for me. I've started to sort of move away a little bit from another platform I've used in the past and really try to focus a little more on LinkedIn. And I would love to connect with anybody that might be interested. And also hear about other things that other strategies our colleagues are doing out there that might help in this particular area of our work.
0: Great. Well for anyone who's watching or listening, I'll be sure to include links to both Kelly and Lexi's profiles so you can go and connect with them on LinkedIn. And to close this out, I like to do this thing at the end of every interview where it's this answer a question, leave a question thing. So I'll ask you a question that our last guest left for you and then you will leave a question for the next guest. So our last guest was Manny Contaminolis of Harvard University and he left this question for you. What's the single best piece of leadership advice you've ever received?
2: Yeah, I think it was definitely around that in leadership, you can't always provide transparency, but you can always provide context.
0: So I think that has been very helpful. (laughs) That's a good one. I like that. Kelly, how about you?
1: Yeah, well, I love this question for many reasons. One, I know Manny well and look up to him as a leader. So it's such a great question. And his podcast also, hopefully everybody was able to catch. And my PhD is in leadership studies. And so it's a particular area of Interest in a little bit more nerdy way. And our particular institution was sort of the birthplace of my favorite theory, which is transformational leadership theory. But kind of going off of that, I think the best advice that I've heard really was around you know, it's really not about us. It is about us trying to create change, create support for those within our charge, and then to create those individuals. An environment and support so that they themselves can become real strong leaders, and that—that's really the way I tend
0: to try and operate. I love that. It's like the selfless leadership. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining me on the podcast today. This was such a fun conversation. There's so much actionable stuff in here that I know our audience is going to just love uh, and hopefully be able to apply to their own work. So, thank you so much again.
1: Thank you, Meredith. Thank you. It's been great.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Meredith again. I realized after I recorded this interview that I forgot to ask Kelly and Lexi what question they want to leave for the next guest. So they were kind enough to send me one after the fact. And the question will be, what is the most funny or unexpected interview question you have ever received? So we'll be asking that of the next guest. And thank you all again for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. that's all for this episode of Career Everywhere. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.